0: From 11FS, I'm Simon Taylor and this is Fintech Insider. On today's show, what really is a challenger bank? We draw a line on who is and who isn't in the cool kids club. Alipay, they're coming for us. We investigate their stealth takeover through tourism. And children's debit cards. How do we make sure kids don't go crazy with money and power? Is this a new way for banks to acquire customers? All this and more, it's episode 250 of Fintech Insiders. So we are here in WeWork Oldgate for the news. Uh, today, joining me from 11FS, we have David Breer. David, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. And we have MJ.
1: Hello. Welcome
0: back to the show, MJ. And Aiden. Hello. Hey, And of course, we've got the wonderful Liz Lumley joining us. Liz, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. And Ajit Tripathi, how are you?
2: Brilliant. Nice
0: to see you again. Good, good. All right, well, we're going to not waste any time. We're just going to jump right into this. Um, So we've got a story right here uh, from Banking Technology, saying that fintech companies blast the banks over PSD2 direct access. Angst. There is just (laughs) angst out there. I love the word angst in a headline.
3: It's all kicking off in regulatory compliance world. I'm a big fan of this story. 60 and growing fintech companies have come together to kind of say, whoa, whoa, whoa. The RTS, the regulatory technical specifications that come along with PSD two, that kind of uh, you know how these APIs are kind of going to work. The
0: guideline, they're very guidelines, not right a strict set of instructions. So you mean the fact that nine banks got together to design the standards hasn't worked for fintech? Oh my well, god,
3: that's that the, works yeah, so well, that's, often. You know, that's the that's the <laughs> obviously that's the CMA version, but the PSD two is, is similar in that it's a lot of banks building, or it feels like that, a lot of banks building APIs for banks, and. F- I guess finally, this felt like it probably inevitable. But a lot of companies come together and said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" that's this is banks controlling access to the data. Um, and what they what the main complaint of this uh, group is is that screen scraping will be banned. I.e., you know, the ability to give your password and username of your bank credentials, and then a service can come in, scrape the data out, and get the transactions and put it into a third party service. What they're saying is that banks now, you know, that is banned from. Uh, January next year, when PSD2 comes into force, and you will have to use the APIs. That gives no transition for businesses that are using that as a business model. It also means banks are the, the gatekeepers of that. So, But yeah. but,
4: but hang on, though. Like, everybody already has like stuff in the terms and conditions of their internet banking usage to sort of prohibit you giving that out anyway. So like, how much bo- more banned can screen scrapers be?
3: But then... Uh, it's, it's, it's ultimate customer need, customers showing that they, you're not providing the right sort of services for us. We're willing to – we. well, they don't care, do they? People don't read the terms and conditions. They don't know that. And you know, and it's not – and there's not – I don't think there's been any losses because of that. You know, the companies that are doing it, they know that if they lose that detail, game over. Yeah. So it's not like they're cowboys. We actually spoke with Dave Tong of Money Hub. Uh, he's also the CTO of Momentum Financial. Uh, he wrote a great piece on this, You know, laying it out, saying – why this was good and uh, had a bit of a chat with him i'm joined now by uh, dave tong cto at money hub enterprise thanks very much for joining us dave thanks aiden talking about a, a big story in uh, open banking world this week when uh, a group of 60 or so fintech companies got together to kind of rail against the um, the demands of psd2 and the closing down of scraping what is this all about
5: yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit bizarre, really, because um, y- you've got this group of fintechs, mainly European, actually. There aren't really many UK um, fintechs who've signed it yet. But their main point is, uh, essentially, we want to keep screen scraping because we don't trust banks to provide APIs. Um, and so, yeah, they've written a big manifesto, and and that's, that's their thing. So, yeah, I wrote an article just because the general message of it, I just think, is wrong. Essentially, they're saying, screen scraping is secure, so let us carry on doing it. And it's it's just a bit nonsensical, really. Uh screen scraping is, is a bit of a bodge. It's a it's a workaround that fintechs have had to, to use because banks haven't provided APIs. And yet, while you know consumers' details may be protected, no one from a kind of a, a serious technical security background could say that screen scraping is uh is a great secure technology that we should keep on using kind of indefinitely. So um, so yeah, my, part of my argument has been that look, let's have a transition from screen scraping to APIs um, and let's work together on that, which uh, which I think has been happening in the UK. And
3: I think that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because all the dates are quite confusing when PSD2 comes into law in the UK. We've also got the CMA over banking measures. And it feels like, well, is there going to be a kind of API day where all the banks are going to go, aha, and switch on all these glorious APIs and data will flow freely and we'll be able to plug into them and build on them? Or is it going to be more of a, staggered rollout you know these businesses that are running on screen scraping they you know how do they plan i guess for that change
5: yeah no you're right and the the reality is that already there is a transition period in in the way the legislation works so pst2 comes into effect in in january but the regulatory technical standards which are the things that people are complaining about because it effectively bans screen scraping um, we still don't know when that's actually com- coming into effect. It's kind of 18 months after it's approved and it's not yet approved. So the likelihood is that fintechs are going to have at least a year, probably more like 18 months to transition. And during that time, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because the banks are going to have to allow access to fintechs. So a lot of them in their terms and conditions at the moment say, you know, oh, don't give away your credentials to third parties, don't use aggregation uh, services. Um, they're going to have to change that because if a fintech gets uh, re- registered with uh, the FCA here in the UK or a, or another kind of a regulator in Europe, um, then they will have the legal right to kind of access that data. And so, banks have to start allowing them from January, but the whole kind of technical standards around it don't come in, you know, for a while yet. So, so there's going to be a, a messy transition period, and um, and yeah, you know, that's just the reality of where we are
3: does that get complicated further in the UK then because the the competition and markets authority's open banking measures are due to come into force similar sort of times and they're expecting the UK banks to have their APIs ready by end of first quarter 2018 is it
5: yeah so they i mean they're targeting actually the, the date that PSD2 goes live but that's ah. for the top 9 banks and just for current accounts and so you know most people with existing services doing screen scraping it's not just the current accounts it's credit cards investments mortgages and so, they're, even from the, the nine banks, if they go live with APIs, and they're still a bit of an if if, they, if they're going to hit those timelines. But even then, there's there's this um, transition. So uh, here in the UK, I think there's actually been fairly good collaboration. Uh, I think you know there's a, there's a general consensus here that look, actually, let's move away from screen scraping on that together. And it's uh, yeah, it's just a, a, in Europe, it seems a bit more like a like a shouting match um, with with uh, you know essentially some of the big fintechs there who do more than just the um, aggregation, but you know, with support, you can actually make payments and things like that. Um, And to be honest, they're, they're sounding a bit like, um, you know, in my mind, they're acting almost like more like a big bank saying, Oh no, keep the status quo, don't change things. And that's just, that's a weird message to kind of, I
3: guess, is it not a concern that uh, you know, obviously they've got business models built on these existing practices, uh, but also knowing what the quality of these apis are going to be like because i guess one of the things that's been flagged up is how many of the fintech companies have actually been involved in the design of these regulations or the design of these apis like you say in the uk it's the big nine banks building these apis is that not a bit like you know turkeys building their own carving knives
5: yeah it is it is and especially kind of in continental europe i think it is a real issue here in the uk to be honest it's Is actually not too bad because of the CMA remedy there are like about 100 people I think working at this open banking limited and they're they're. although the banks are paying for it it is an independent entity and actually they're they're really they're doing a good job it's difficult but to try and balance the needs of the consumers fintechs and the banks and so here in the UK I think we're going to get a standard which um which is is going to work uh you know across in Europe yeah there is it is it is tricky, and, and definitely the banks could really obstruct uh, fintechs, you know, if, if they chose to. But um, I think that's where we need to get a, a kind of orderly transition, and you know, across Europe. So if you look at BBVA, they've had um, APIs for a while now. You look at Nordea, and um, you know, quite a few other banks in the Nordics, um, and they also kind of launched API programs. So it, this kind of view that banks are just these you know evil people who want to obstruct you know any any new technology isn't quite accurate and you know yeah we need to try and protect against the ones who will behave in that way but um but probably rather than just shouting at them a good way is to um is to try and work with them and to you know to let them see these these new opportunities so i'm I'm hoping it'll be a bit of an arms race for the banks to get the best api it is going to be very interesting and it is going to be uh to be messy but i just think the direction is going completely the right way and and the problem with screen scraping is that you know people lump all these things together so that's kind of one of the things i've been talking about That yeah there's there's kind of accessing the data via essentially an undocumented api and no one ever wants to do that you know we're only doing that because we don't have a choice you know the, the the second issue is that currently with screen scraping um it's it's impersonation so so the bank can't you know definitely know whether it's the end user or an aggregator that they've given their credentials to that issue can actually be solved, and so there's there's proposals floating around, and that's one of the proposals from these European fintechs, which um, uh, we've got a similar proposal here in the UK. That in this transition period, fintechs can at least identify themselves uh, themselves to the banks. But but the big issue really is is those credentials, and um, yeah, the, you know the, the PSD two and, and the regulatory technical standards talk about strong customer authentication and to be honest that that is that's the huge issue at the moment and it affects loads of existing business models you know even things like you know amazon one click the fact that banks have to apply this strong customer authentication and they can only uh you know there's only certain circumstances where they don't have to apply it that's the big issue and i just don't think as it's currently worded strong customer authentication can take place you know via some sort of screen scraping so you know we're going to have to move forward and it's it's, it's tricky, you know, legislating for APIs is, is tricky, really, you know, legislators shouldn't have to get involved in this stuff.
3: Well, we'll uh, see how it pans out over the next three, six, 12, 18, 24 months, however long it's gonna be, but uh, the doors are metaphorically opening and they're definitely not closing anytime soon. So
0: thanks for joining us, Dave. Yeah, no, thanks, pleasure. All right, so thank you very much, Dave, for that from MoneyHub. I mean, I get the sense, Ajit, that um, – do you have some thoughts on this one?
2: Yeah, so we just came out with our uh, you know, thought paper on uh, implementing PSD2 while you're also implementing GDPR. And we are in this uh, wonderful world where consumers, uh, I mean, see cybersecurity and privacy is a big part of customers' digital experience, right? It's not just about having access to fun and exciting products and services or useful products and services. At the end of the day, the customers do need their information to be secure and protected. And for that, we need standards. So the regulators are actually, I think are genuinely doing the right thing here by standardizing how third parties are allowed or not allowed to access customers' data or transaction information from the banks. banks, I mean, are the custodians of all of this data as well. So for once, I'm on the side of banks, right, on this one. And I, I think the, the RTS is right about it. Well, it'd be nice to have some standards
0: around it, sure. But actually, if those standards aren't usable by anyone, like, what's I, the point?
6: Are they standards? I mean, but the CMA, they're not standards, they're frameworks.
2: Uh, it's one of the major problems, y- right? That is correct. So I think we're in a, uh, we're in, we're looking at two different regulatory regimes sort of going on in parallel and create, trying to create standards, right? This is a, this is a negotiated process where a lot of banks and fintechs and regulators and people like us will come in and have open discussions about uh, what the standards should be. So you're right. The APIs aren't standardized yet, but that's, mm-hmm. but that's definitely the direction that we think things will go and they're going. So let's let's give it some time and let's be part of that process.
4: It really feels to me like this is like the to and fro that we're going to go over the next sort of 18 months on this one so in terms yes. of like everybody wanting it broader and like more open. And the, you know, the regulation was put in place, you know, the intent of that in its first place was to increase competition, right?
6: Yes, but look, but look at that intent, you know, this, this magic pill of we just need to increase competition and then the great fintech utopia will overcome, you know wash all over all of us. I'm not sure.
4: I'm not sure. I'm not (laughs) sure whether they think, well, I'm not sure whether they think that FinTech's going to, get the banks. I'm not sure that's what you necessarily meant. Yeah. But I think it's going to it's like turning up the heat underneath the banks. So I think almost like the fear and like just the opportunities for other people there, to yeah. come in. There
6: is a fear. I mean, I've talked to banks in the US and their attitude is keep that stuff over in Europe. Please don't <laughs> let it come across <laughs> come across the pond. Is. And but yeah, this is I mean, I think this this story without going deep dive on it is it illustrates What we're going to see, some of the consequences are unintended or intended from what happens with the PSD2, which is Mm. what happens with every single regulation that comes out. Um, Once it gets in practice from the practitioners, and in this case, payments entrants and banks, Mm -hmm. then we're going to see actually what does happen.
4: Mm. Yeah. And, and my fear is, unfortunately, given every other regulation that we've kind of seen come through, is yeah. it gets watered down so much that actually the intent of it in its first place
6: and is... We have PSD3. Uh, yeah, PSD3. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, <laughs> I, the first mention of that, I think, on stage, Dave Birch recorded that a couple of weeks ago, and somebody already talking about the requirements for PSD3, because we don't think PSD2 is going to do what it needs to do. It's it, it's kind of sad, but we, we better move on, because we can talk about this all day, every day. Um, and the next story up is one in the Telegraph. Uh, so the headline here is, Upstart challenger banks i consolidation and i think what they mean by this is the likes of virgin money and and a few others like that maybe oak north and that kind of size of bank not necessarily your monzos and your starlings but this this brand challenger uh looking at some of the more troubled assets in the uk maybe a co-op maybe uh, former northern trust assets etc and starting to try and build their presence a more traditional way by actually buying loan books and buying deposit books is that actually going to make any real difference to the landscape in the uk because santander came and did this in the last 10 years could we see more of that maybe i i
6: i I do apologize i'm actually going to talk about the media here because i think there is a misunderstanding and i don't really like the term challenger banks anyway of the mainstream media not really knowing what a challenger bank is you know so there was a a guy from metro bank which was on radio four uh last week and you know they called him a challenger bank and you're a high street bank with a branch um, that's not what I would call a challenger bank the announcer proceeded to ask him questions about the breakup of RBS and the guy rightly said well I, I don't work at RBS I can't talk about what what they're doing there um, you know and I once had someone from Santander UK call tell me that they were a challenger bank I said dude you sponsor the bikes you're not a challenger bank so, so that's, there, that's the bar yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah so there is I think very much this article is about the, the co-ops and the virgin monies and the Williams and Glens and, um, and that sort of That kind wave. of mid-tier yeah. where yeah.
2: There's, there's movement happening. And there's uh, see, see, fundamentally, I think <coughs> there are two questions here, right? Why do we think we need challenger banks? So if you look at the banking industry's performance in the UK over the last, uh, well, since the beginning of the financial crisis, banks haven't been doing very well. I mean, they've not made a lot of money. There are banks that have made nine consecutive years of losses, is it? And these banks still have a lot of market share. So clearly, Something is not right about the banking industry, right? And probably more competition is required. The other point of view is from the consumer's perspective, which is, are we not getting, uh, I mean, the kind of products and services we could get if there was more competition in the market? Does competition fix low interest rate environments? Does mm-hmm. competition <laughs> yeah. fix
0: um, uh, consumer apathy? <laughs> I don't know that it does. I think there's, and I don't think regulation fixes it necessarily. I think it's it's possibly even generational. I mean, MJ, you see all kinds of, of challenger banks and, and brands and that sort of thing. Do you think there's an approach coming from the challenger banks and brands that could really shake up the market and actually win customer share? And, and who might that be?
1: I mean, I think that when we look at like the Tescos and the Virgin Monies, they're not challenger banks. If anything, they're challenger challenger brands, which I think is a completely outdated term given how much the UK has changed in the past few years with the true challenger banks and the likes of Monzo and and Adam and and whatnot. And I mean, I think it will be... It will be interesting to see sort of who they can pick off and sort of what type of uh, momentum they can get. But certainly from what we're seeing in terms of the challenger banks opening up into sort of the world of the marketplace and really just providing like great services for customers and I think changing the way that sort of the more millennial and younger generation looks at banking and approaches banking. And I think that that's going to be sort of um, a medium to longer term impact for... I
6: do think that... Um, what will happen, and I'm not saying I agree or
1: approve that
6: this should happen, but what we consider to be challenger banks, the Adams and the Monzos, I think will eventually be bought by Lloyd's and Barclays and HSBC as this boutique business.
2: As or the other way around, depending on the valuations. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, the, so that's what happened with and,
0: uh, RBS and NatWest. That's what happened with Lloyd's and HBOS. The the smaller one, ate the bigger one. And actually, if they can grow their customer base to a certain point, maybe. But, but then the alternative efficient. is the BBVA by Simple, Holvi, and anything else that moves. But then you think about what happens after those acquisitions. And Simple, Holvi, what's happened since Atom What's happened since they've acquired these organizations, they've pumped a whole bunch of money in there, but they're not necessarily getting the business case benefit. And actually, it feels to me like the market's really looking for that business case that makes sense. And yet, here in the UK, so I was talking to the um, CEO of RFI, the research company earlier today, and he was sort of mentioning that uh, the UK is the third most digitally ready country in the world when they survey different generations. So if you look at, uh, number one was China, number two was India, number three was the UK. Uh, And in a lot of markets, you see, Um, that actually the millennials that are digitally ready and then it kind of drops off through Gen X and down into the boomers. In the UK, it's pretty flat. As a country, we are absolutely ripe and ready. But also, we're not a billion people. Uh, we have one major regulator that you need to deal with. And we have um, a government that's really pushing for competition. So does this mean then that the tech players come in? Does it mean that more things like that happen? Could they get into this consul- uh, challenge of consolidation place?
2: Yeah, see, part of uh, digital disruption is that it sort of is going to rewire the industries, as in uh, it'll redesign industries. So, I think we're thinking too much about bank banks and we're thinking not enough about banking, right? So what are the services that the consumer wants? And if WeChat, for example, or Tencent is in a position to create lending credit or other credit models or payment services, then they don't have to be a bank. They don't have to be a payments provider. Right? So it's a question of who's got the best, and especially with open banking, once uh, third parties start to combine their data or uh, external data with banks' information to offer new and exciting products and services, then these boundaries between industries sort of start to dissolve. I think that's what's really exciting about this. But
6: when does the regulator come in, though? Because you know, the, the, the FCA yeah. doesn't regulate Apple Pay. But if you're moving towards a, a place where there are a lot of people who see, look at their payments through Apple Pay, mm-hmm. and then you go into credit, then you're going into the bank world yeah, yeah where does the
2: regulator come and in? it's the same with bitcoin and all of that stuff right as in the regulators are there to protect consumers at the end of the day so if there is a financial service being offered to a consumer one way or the other in whatever form it is then the regulators will be involved to protect and do what they do which is so, monitoring uh, there's a funny people. story about a, a bank ceo who shall remain nameless um, and i have this second
0: hand who once asked one of his aides why do i need to take deposits at all because it's the least profitable part of my business.
6: That's what makes a bank. That's a bank. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Uh, it
0: you, <laughs> David, David nearly fell off his chair. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think what he was actually getting at, I think what he was actually getting at was that this is something that, uh, you, uh, to agit's point, there are a lot of bits of banking that you can chop up that are profitable. And the, dep- the holding onto money bit is the least profitable bit. Like the, the current account is the least profitable bit, and it's hard to run that at, at any yes, time. But, kind of but I think there's yeah,
6: something that is- that you shouldn't forget. Okay, and I I get exactly what you're saying. But the reason why banks take deposits and make loans, and that is heavily regulated, is because your money is secure.
2: That's exactly right.
6: And so we we have to look at business models where that still that core still exists because dealing with people's money is very serious.
2: And, and I can't keep my money in, under the mattress, right? Mm-hmm. As sometimes people did in Japan when the interest rates were really low. You're right, Liz. I mean, there is banking as a fundamental service involves protecting mm-hmm. somebody else's money. So yeah, deposits. Can were I just, so have, just, one, just
3: one quick thing? I mean, why on earth would these? challenger banks want to consolidate. Why on earth would you want to buy it? It's bad enough trying to start one, let alone then we'll buy another one at Nabs. But, but it's not a of challenge legacy.
0: bank, is it? It's a challenge of brand. And I guess growing through acquisition is something we see in the market a lot in the banking space. It, it, it's one of those things that makes sense on a, a spreadsheet.
6: Fragmentation and consolidation. Yeah, that's
0: that's it makes sense with a certain Circular size of business. Business. It's not.
6: Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a circle of life. And speaking of the
0: circle of life, i got to move us on to the next oh, story. Damn. Yeah, i got to do it. i got to move us mm. on. Uh, we've got a lot of stories to get through today. And the next one here is in banking technology. Um, Deutsche Bank are leading a charge for a pan-industry... Street, E-identity platform. Ajit, do you know a little bit about this one?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, you know Deutsche Bank have been leading the thinking uh, in my book in this space for a while now. And uh, let's think about what happens after open banking and PSD2 are real, right? So if if you're a retailer and you're a bank uh, and and you want uh, as a consumer, I want to be able to use my you know retailer's account to access my deposits in a bank and actually make payments then i do need the bank and the retailer to share a certain token or some notion of identity where they can both agree that i am ajit right and this is my account so uh, from a commercial perspective i know there has been a lot of debate about self sovereign identity and there is a lot of philosophy in this space but fundamentally from a consumer's perspective identity is the ability of you know people who provide me services and products to be able to identify me and agree on who i am so that they can then provide more interesting and effective services. So Deutsche Bank are fundamentally saying is that multiple parties need to come together to create a a, sort of an industry body where they can create a notion of identity that they can share.
0: But it's pan-European, this thing, right? So it's it's across all of Europe, and it's led largely by financial institutions and companies that can verify your identity. It's not dissimilar from what we've seen in the UK with gov.verify. And that didn't Go so well, <laughs> like we're, we're going to trust the market to build this thing for us because we don't think we can build it as a government is is one thing, but actually, can banks get together and execute a massive consumer platform? I don't. I'm not really convinced. When I when well, I, I look at the markets, they got
6: the, they got the merchants on on side saying, right. you know what you don't sell alcohol to people under 18, we're gonna take that risk away from you because we're gonna have an identity. Oh,
0: I buy the business case, Liz. I
2: completely buy the business case. I just don't buy their ability to execute. Yes, uh, you're absolutely right, Mm. but I think fundamentally the consumer need overrides all of those uh, constraints. Because I think with PSD2 and open banking, we'll we'll fundamentally be in a world where a notion of shared identity between all of these companies is required. And that consumer need is going to drive these participants to essentially create a platform that works.
0: See, I've seen markets where that has worked. I mean, MJ, you know this better than me. What markets have this worked in and kind of how have they done that?
1: Yeah, I think that, I mean, the best example would be Bank ID in Sweden. So essentially it's um, an ID solution where the banks and the government agencies can essentially conclude agreements um, over the internet or, or over mobile. And I think that, I mean, with Bank ID, it sits so nicely within the banking platforms and the apps and everything. And it allows just customers to sort of go through these sort of processes so much quicker than what we see in, in other markets. And it has a huge uptake and it's just, it's become the norm in, in Sweden.
0: But did that come from, one bank and then everybody adopted it or was it kind of um i think it's a government it, program a government led. yeah and this yeah. is the same in estonia culture, this is the culture. same in norway yeah, this cultural. is the same in china this is the same, the same in, in india, india. Yeah. Yeah. yes right. and, and so actually does deutsche really need something
2: coming else from, from from someone else standing behind them and a government that can execute but they're not really trying to own this problem, right? As They're not saying that Deutsche will build it for everybody, but they're saying needs this needs to. to happen. Somebody needs to own the problem. And, and somebody needs kind of to lead the thinking and influence everybody else to come together and do this, right? Yeah. So but Deutsche are years, playing a cat- catalytic role.
6: They, they, they played a huge role in pushing SIPA down everyone's throats. so oh. Deutsche Bank have a lot of power.
3: But for yeah. years, you know, organizations like the GSMA, they've been trying it from a, a, teleph- a telephony point of view. They've not cracked it the banks aren't going to crack it. It's, it's, You know, I think identity is one of the the, the great problems of our time. Everybody, you know, identity is the new money, plug in Dave Bircher's book for him. But it's also probably one of the hardest problems a to
7: solve. <laughs> yeah. we, we have a, Dave, can yeah. we get some free copies
3: of the show? Uh, He's promised me, man. There's been so many attempts, you know, and there's, there's EIDAS, which is the European it's, Scheme, to try and do that.
2: I'm sensing a lot of angst here as <laughs> in we really want
0: this to happen tomorrow. But it's a really hard problem, right? This is going to take time. It's a hard problem because there's, I don't think there's any one actor, unlike in the Nordics or Estonia or um, say even with India or China, especially with China, where you've got this one actor who can say, just fucking do it. Just get on with it. Just make this thing happen. And and you don't really have that in Europe because there's so much more debate that needs to happen about everything. And Everybody there needs five papers and five You know, yeah.
6: that type of identity... You, you can't tell someone in Britain or America that the government's going to issue an ID card. I know that these things happen in other ways, but that culturally is not going to happen the way it happens. Way. But
2: Europe also has a track record of sort of getting together and making laws and agreeing on regulations and agreeing on standards, right? It's Europe? a slow process. What, what's, what's Europe? <laughs> I, I that so thing. It's yeah. the thing well, we yeah. had before Brexit, David. Ah, okay. <laughs> it we was have, a good
6: we're going to have a big, beautiful wall right down the channel. <laughs> we do eventually agree on a
2: lot of things and make them happen. Look,
0: right. I just, don't get me wrong. I, I want Deutsche to do well at this. I want this to succeed. We need it. It could make life so much easier. Easier. It's a hard problem, but it's a very hard problem. It's a very hard
4: problem. I, I think the the thing to note on this one is it's not just Deutsche Bank on their own, right? Well, you mm-hmm. know, in fact, the article actually calls out Allianz and Daimler and Postbank and blah 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 blah. So there's plenty of other people in this, and it's really about a discussion about the problem and trying to figure out what to do. It. I don't think Deutsche Bank are big enough to do this on their own, and uh, you know, reading the article, I don't think they do either. No, no but they I can influence I,
0: I, it. That humility is, is a fantastic starting point. Without question, I just uh, yeah, I just worry about execution on these things. I've seen them come and go a few times. But uh, got to move on. Uh, Aidan, there's one in Bloomberg here about uh, Apple can thank Alipay for shopping. What's the story about?
3: Well, it's a pretty big story in that um, Alibaba have uh, hooked up with First Data Corp in the US, which has given them access to 4 million merchants, which is just half a million merchants less than Apple Pay, which gives them quite some scale. Uh, We've got another Chinese story as well.
0: Before we go there though, First Data Corporation, four million, like that's a huge acquiring organization. We had the CEO of um, an MD of uh, Europe on the show, Rita Liu, um, three, four weeks ago. And their goal is to follow their uh, tourists and actually by enabling merchants. And I've not really seen this happen anywhere else. So, like, if, if I'm an acquiring bank in the US, I'm thinking, goodness, this is probably way more of a threat than than Apple Pay.
4: Are, are Alipay still pretending they're doing all of this for Chinese people Tourists. traveling
0: abroad? <laughs> no, that's their strategy, is you leverage that as your first set of... Um, transactions and then after that you push into those markets yeah because they're, they're you know all the way
4: through this article they're basically referring to the fact that don't worry this is just for chinese tourists um, in the <laughs> in the u.s like we've sort of heard don't for all the, the other chinese stuff that Beijing. they were doing yeah and then it's just like flick a switch and you're everywhere doing everything it's quite terrifying really
0: but but i've seen this in the uk like they're in selfridges and they're in a few other places um you know major tourist spots do do have them that is their strategy but without question the intent is to then go, go much further sorry i I cut you across. with Sorry, no.
3: I was going to say we we've got a couple of stories, and again, it's we didn't have any last week, which is which is rare for us. But again, it's just the Chinese the Chinese players. AliPay does a thing. AliPay does a thing. Oh, it's massive. Tencent does a thing.
2: Oh, it's massive again. So the other guys are breaking out into the US, into EU. I think the biggest challenge is going to be that they are coming from a country that has blogged Facebook and Google both from time to time. And now what does that mean for Alipay entering the United States and how does that yeah. work? The competition is going to get interesting because you've
0: got this double-sided uh, kind of wall in which things can't get into the the Chinese market and things can't really get out of them. Mm. Um, and if they have, they've been regional in, in both directions. Uh, it's mm. going to be interesting. They
6: can't even get into Hong Kong. You get me now. <laughs> it's right next
0: door. Yeah. It's, it's, so, so it's going to be interesting to see. It, you can follow your tourists pretty well, but can you do that next step? Is is kind of the really huge challenge. But then also, that the flip side of that coin is. But isn't the strategy interesting? Isn't the proposition interesting, especially on the WeChat, Alipay side? Um, you're following chat, building services around that. We haven't, Facebook have tried that progressively. They're starting to do that in India. Uh, they're starting to do that in more markets um, through through uh, WhatsApp, but will we see more of that? And will they do that in old markets? I just don't know.
3: We spoke with James Lloyd, our friend in Hong Kong at EY, for a little bit of an insight into these stories. James, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Always a pleasure. So James got two big stories as usual from China. Uh, First up, uh, a story from Bloomberg. Apple can thank Alipay for shopping. What's your take on uh, this interesting partnership?
7: Yeah, I mean, look, maybe can we just turn this show into a China show and uh, occasionally have <laughs> contributors from the U.S.A. Sure, talking about it? I'm sure we're, we're all happy to fly out to Hong Kong or
3: China, <laughs> wherever we'll, re- we'll record a big show over there. That We would definitely be up for that.
7: I mean, look, I think my first reaction to this is it is very interesting to me how much attention the big China players are now getting relative to 12 months ago, let alone to three or five years ago. Um, of course, that's a consequence of their growth, uh, but also very much their internationalization. And In this instance, a you know, great deal with, between First Data and Alipay. Um, actually, I believe they, they, they've been partnering for some time on a trial basis, but, again, you know, in, in a simplest level, this just enables the same old strategy, which is to say, can we facilitate China outbound, uh, be they tourists or students, as they seek to uh, pay for you know, goods and services as they travel? But maybe there's a little bit more to it than that in terms of these types of strategic relationships and and what are the potential quid pro quos. Um, I'm not sure why Apple is part of this. I mean, actually, I think for me, the more interesting Apple story in relation to China is the decline in in, in some of their sales of of iPhones in China. And look, I think the outbound continues to impress. You know, my my take on this as ever is that Ali and Ant Financial have a very coordinated strategic roadmap and they know where they want to go. And they're getting there at, at record speed. Uh, WeChat, a little bit more uh, fragmented, perhaps in their international approach, um, you know, maybe as a consequence of their of their domestic focus. And I think we're going to see some pretty interesting stats out of Tencent in relation to that over the coming months.
3: So, just on that, the other story of the week is that you know WeChat's uh, Ten Cent uh, equivalent, uh, they've made an investment in uh, Silicon Valley-based mobile payments, SitCon, Again, it's it, it, it's very interesting to see moves outside of China, um, for me, uh, and I guess potentially worrying for some of the other financial players.
7: Well, so again, I don't know if this is as big a deal, perhaps, as a couple of the papers have reported. Um, actually, I do, I wasn't aware they'd made an investment in Sitcon. My understanding was that it was more a, a, a partnership, and merchant acceptance partnership. They did make a, a, an investment in a company I know quite well last week called airwallocks out of Australia which is a uh, remittance company uh, where Tencent uh, co-invested alongside MasterCard and Sequoia. So again, a small early stage investment, but kind of perhaps interesting given the uh, given the money movement, uh, remittance space. Uh, you, you know, I think Tencent as a firm, perhaps on this podcast and elsewhere, I, I talk about WeChat pay quite a lot. I talk about the ecosystem in WeChat. Tencent is ultimately a gaming company, and that's where they, they make incredible revenues, really fantastic cash business. The messaging side in China is all pervasive, and I only see that going up and to the right. I mean, in terms of the amount of time people are spending on the platform, it's getting more and more. Uh, So payments is an inherent part of that now, and and particularly the offline side, they've been making huge inroads. I'm not sure what the international ambitions of a WeChat can be. I mean, if you just simply look at the numbers in in many of the Western markets, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, uh, WhatsApp, are, are entirely dominant uh, out here in Asia. You've got you know, Line uh, in Japan, Thailand. You've got Kakao in Korea. Uh, you've got Viber. You've got a couple of other players. Um, but but ultimately, it, it feels like a difficult market in which to in which to really dominate, as they have done in China. So where does that leave WeChat Pay? Um, my own sense is probably more aligned to the Chinese outbound again, the students and travelers. And is there a more strategic play beyond that? I think we're going to have to wait and see.
3: Well, we will wait for next week's uh, bunch of stories that astound us as uh, the, the march continues.
7: Great stuff, James. Thank you very much. Cheers. All the best.
0: Thanks very much to James. Uh, MJ, have you seen anything in the WeChat side that has impressed you? What is it about it that really makes it stand out?
1: I mean, it just it does everything you could possibly need to do. I mean, from paying your friends to booking appointments, from paying utilities and everything all in one like central super easy um, to use Hub. And I think that like anywhere that WeChat and subsequently WePay is coming into a market, people should genuinely be frightened. (laughs) <laughs>
2: Frightened. <laughs> and, and you can see
0: that all on pulse, right? <laughs> cool. All right. So, uh, next story up. MJ, we've got a story from Nina Mahanti, um, who's at Nina Mahanti on Twitter. Um, the story's in Mac rumors. Uh, visa and payment startup Current launched debit card for kids. That ties. Like Osper. Per- yeah. <laughs> that ties parental control. I've yeah. Seen no one before. <laughs> so yeah. Basically, is this just Osper? Or
1: yeah. Essentially, it is. And I mean, I think that we've been we've been seeing over the past few years, kind of trying to get into this space. And I think that it kind of. It goes into a wider push with the idea of having sort of um, group accounts and sub-accounts. So something we're seeing with Bunk, it's sort of not necessarily positioned towards um, sort of youngsters, but kind of that maintaining payment limits. and. Who are
3: Bunk, for listeners that might not know, or sorry. people in the room?
1: Uh, bunk is a uh, challenger bank coming out of uh, the Netherlands. Which are quite cool. They're doing some interesting stuff. But I mean, yeah, essentially it it's an app where it's digitizing like the weekly allowance. Um, so parents can sort of get a better sense of where their children are spending. Kids can get uh, more educated on saving and spending and whatnot. So it, it's essentially Osper. But I think having looked at the app, like the UI and the look and feel is much better than Osper. It feels much more targeted towards an actual Youngster, the, teenager. The, bu- the
6: bunk when not the visa? Uh,
1: no, 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 the, the visa, and visa and current, one? Account, yeah. Because Osprey has a, a partnership with MasterCard. Yes, yep.
4: yeah. Rivalry being formed.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think, I don't know, it would be, be interesting to see if, I don't know if, if the sort of targeting towards the younger generation ever really uh, picks up or anything. Yeah, I'm fascinated uh, by it. I know, I think it's fantastic. I have a 12-year-old who's been on it for a number
6: of years, and when we first opened him up a bank account at, at a, a Spanish bank that has branches in the UK, um, they gave him a passbook and I was like oh my god, why, why and we got him an Osper and he I mean I've had to turn it off a few times when he went a little overboard at the trainer store but um (laughs) It, it's great. I love it. I, I I think it's a good way to go. But um, this
2: is what's annoying for me. I mean, why are we educating this new generation in the old tools? Why are we giving them physical cards instead of a more digital experience? Because, this because is a receptive is it, this audience. Is this is the
6: bridge. This is the bridge. This is the bridge. That's,
2: yeah.
0: Great. Yeah, that's but, but also, right. why aren't like high street banks more interested in this as a proposition? Yes, exactly.
6: That's what pissed me off about Osprey. Is like, why didn't? All the big four, the big five, offer that. Because it,
0: it baffles because me. Because the bank,
6: the bank is my bank. The bank is my banking.
0: Uh, and once, once you've got somebody at a young age, you've got them for life because they're yeah, not going to exactly. switch. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. What we've seen, like the only initiative is like NatWest. Like they came out with like the Pigby kind of like mm-hmm. iPad app, which was nest- It was a game. It didn't really like provide that much in terms of. Oh,
0: what well, like, the kids need? The kids need games, not accounts. No, oh, ki- oh, ki- oh, but- kids, kids
1: need something that they can take to the Lego
6: store at Blue Water and buy something with. That's That was a game changer for my son. I think it that was a he, game changer. Yeah, that he could do that without mummy being there.
0: And and that's a sense of empowerment. It's a sense of financial control. It's it's yeah. learning how money works at a young age. Like all of this stuff could be really adding to the social responsibility and the CSR side of what banks do. Instead of sending staff into schools, which is a great initiative, I don't discourage it, but actually how about living it through your product?
6: Yeah, I, I've seen bank people say, young people have no money. Why do we need them as customers? I'm like. Because oh. they will...
0: They're your future customers. They will have money someday. We were all young at one point, right? <laughs> yes.
6: Yeah. Well, I think uh, this, this is...
3: Again, I've talked about this before, but we've not really seen any family interfaces. This doesn't have to just be kids. Mm-hmm. This could be, you know, and we're talking about younger yeah. kids, but A, students, A, elder parents, A, A, yeah, A there's, uh, there's, there's really not been any anything... From, again, from banks, really delivering products that, that no. deal with the fact that we aren't
2: just individuals who have a banking relationship. I'm probably the guy in this room who spent too much time doing regulatory work. So, <laughs> uh, now, if you're, I don't know, if Simon, if you watched the recent episode of Silicon Valley, and there is this chat <laughs> application that under 13s are using, and apparently that's a problem. So while you're giving access to financial products and services to young people, uh, you probably want to be careful about what the implications are going to be for these customers.
3: And again, that's going to be interesting, is how you can d- design controls into it. That either it becomes com- compliant or regulatory compliant.
1: Yeah, so or, I mean, with this, the essentially the, the child has three different types of wallets within the app. So they have the spending wallet, which is linked to the debit card. They have the savings wallet where they can put money away for a rainy day. And they actually have a giving wallet, which is sort of something we haven't seen, where they can donate to um, charities. This
3: is beautiful. Mm. Right. Because I, I guess, like you say, 13 is the age, but... Can you, I don't know, would you give a younger child his 10 pounds? Well, we do that, that right? Exactly. That. Well, that, the hospital
6: yeah. card is 8, eight, to, eight uh, to
3: 18. Yeah. So regulations. be damned. We need better but, services but, for
5: families.
0: You know, i got to say, though, um, I've been really impressed by the uh, sandbox initiatives and the ability of regulators to be open-minded about this kind of stuff, and large organizations to be terrified by the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And actually, if you were to put something like this into a regulatory sandbox and say, we're going to test this, we're going to measure it, we're going to be very safe and slow and, and, and sure about it, or not even in the sandbox, just go to Project Innovate, go to MAS in Singapore, go to the number of initiatives that are popping up in the U.S. along the same
2: lines. The FCA is unbelievably enlightened about this stuff, right? They're willing to have a conversation uh, and make sure that there is, a, uh, there is a phased approach to launching some of these services, and the Sandbox Initiative is absolutely the right place to have those conversations with. Absolutely.
0: Well, on that note, we've got to throw over to our sponsors and thank them and uh, have our Pulse Minute.
3: The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT
8: subscription. Critical Mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach Critical Mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs, opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest. Most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com
7: today. Eleven FS False Update.
4: Hello this is Ross from 11FS
1: and this is Megan from 11FS.
4: Today Megan is going to tell us all about a new market entrant and another new brand being featured in 11FS Pulse, the UK challenger bank Starling.
1: Yep, Starling are out of beta and open for business. And
4: What has caught your eye?
1: Firstly the onboarding. Some customers have experienced a few kinks but me personally I had a great experience that only took a couple of minutes. The UI was super slick and the identity check was completed without any pain points which isn't always the case with account opening on a mobile
4: and once you're up and running with the account
1: the landing page is super visual and very unbank like you can see your balance your spend for the day and a nice breakdown of spend per merchant also you can easily add a new page just by authenticating with your password it sounds like you're a fan sure am cool
4: and as always tell us where we can see these starling journeys in action
1: head over to our website at 11fs.com and look up 11fs pulse where there are hundreds of great digital banking experiences being showcased.
0: Thank you very much to our sponsors and thank you MJ and Ross for that pulse minute. Um MJ, there's a story here in banking innovation. Barclays are giving users total control over a debit I think this is debit card transactions, in an effort to stop card fraud. What's what's going on here?
1: Yeah, I mean, what they've actually implemented isn't anything new in terms of being able to limit your card and where you can use it within the app. But what is quite different is sort of how they're spinning it um, and simultaneously running this campaign um, as a way, I think it's the new digital security campaign, um, the Great British Fraud Fight Back. So it's a £10 million initiative um, to increase consumer awareness of digital fraud risk within the UK. So what they're actually letting customers do within the app um, is they can set up an ATM withdrawal limit, um, and they can toggle off and on the ability to make remote purchases. Now, this is like nothing new whatsoever. So Monzo, you can freeze your card. Metro Bank, you can freeze your card. We've been seeing European banks and most notably Commonwealth Bank of Australia um, sort of have a comprehensive part within the app where customers can limit if if the card can be used online, um, inside Australia, outside Australia, um, etc. But it is quite interesting how they're sort of getting this whole like PR campaign behind it. And I think that's sort of in typical Barclays fashion. And
4: I do love this podcast in order to just be slightly contrary all the time. So I actually think this is a good thing. I think like Barclays delivering this to millions of people is actually like a big deal. Like, you know, I, I great it's great that Monzo are doing it to like a hundred thousand people and I love you, Monzo, but in terms of actually delivering it out to like millions upon millions of people, then it you know, almost like
2: big banks fighting back, right? Absolutely. So, banks should be a distribution platform for good ideas and that's really a great thing.
6: I would I would like to know, I didn't read the article, I do apologize. Um but is I mean Barclays has the Techstars Rise accelerator program. Is this something they developed in house or is this something that they they brought. Is uh, you you're mouthing at me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else can hear you, Simon. You need to make noises. <laughs> no, but I really wanted to
6: know because you know <laughs> if, if banks have these accelerator programs and and it start like where did this you know innovation come from? is it come from in house?
4: The the uh, the article doesn't say. Uh, it just says it's a Barclays developed thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the ten million fraud thing is quite interesting as well. I, I wonder if so they're spending ten million to shave a significant amount of fraud off? Like how, how, I mean, it, I think how much that, fraud I think do we it, have to get rid of to
0: get rid of 10 million, just like yeah, save I, the 10 million, I, right? I don't so, know if that's the business case. I think there's a bit of marketing here and there's also a bit of the fact that having the feature when you're a high street bank isn't the goal. Having a feature that people use is the goal and actually you need to get people aware of that. So if you've got a fraud issue because you've got 12 million customers who don't know how to do something properly and they, they've never seen a feature before, you have to educate them to how to use the feature. And I think this is the right thing to do I think you've got. it's one thing, as you say, to have 100,000 people use it, but those 100,000 people are self-selecting as people who really get this stuff and are really geeky and really care about it. But there's a whole swathe of the country for who fintech just doesn't matter, and actually managing their money and not getting defrauded really matters, and having some education for them is, is probably a really good thing.
2: There is a 7 billion people in the world who don't really need to know how the internet works, but they use it anyways, right? So fintech, to me, is like that.
4: For sure, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. My mom doesn't need to know how it works; she just needs to know how to use it, right? Right.
0: And I think on um, the innovation coming internally. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And
4: and if so, perfectly
6: happy to use it. I have no desire to know how it works. If it is,
0: I'm very proud. I have to say. I think on the innovation coming from internally or externally, I think there's definitely something about, are are the um, are these labs purely just for show or no, are they show. actually delivering anything? <laughs> no. We, we, we covered the story last week of um, Barclays launching the quote-unquote largest fintech hub in Europe. And, and I think the, the intent is definitely there. I've... As a former Barclays employee, I've never worked anywhere that wants innovation more than Barclays does, and will will make bets. And actually, I think we should encourage them for trying and making bets, even if they don't convert all of them. And I'm sure they want to get their conversion higher.
4: Like it is astounding how many things Barclays do have in that space. I I was saying to you guys offline, like they have an Eagles Lab in Norwich. Uh, Like how I didn't know about that, given. There's like four other things happening in Norwich. It's just astounding to me. Mustard, but it, exactly, yeah. Like it, it's like Delia Smith, some mustard stuff, and now the eagle Lab.
0: <laughs> Matthews,
4: yes. Don't talk about him so much
2: lately. on? <laughs>
0: Fictional character.
2: Yeah,
4: thank
0: you. The other the other three of these are real. But. Alan Partridge of FinTech is David Breer, right? Oh, great. Yeah. Thank you. That one's going to stick. Yeah, it really is, and especially in podcasting. But I think that the Eagles Lab is an interesting example of something where if you're outside of London, like, how do you get to play in FinTech? You might, I, As somebody who lived in West Yorkshire for many years before moving to London, I was interested in FinTech from 2009. I didn't move to London until 2013. I was following the thing on Twitter, like, and I always felt like I was outside of the party. Did you move to
4: London? London for fintech
0: I moved to London for a job at Barclays um and
6: yes, i moved to London for fintech too and, and it was and I think I, I think the only reason I got the
0: job was because of fintech yeah, yeah without question so yeah I got a lot to thank Barclays for and I think they're doing the right thing on the on, on that stuff um so but we, we got to move on Uh, David, there's one here in the FT where the Aviva chief executive has hit out a personal insurance market. Has he just taken a baseball bat to it? What's going on?
4: Well, it's it's an interesting one, and we should thank uh, Nigel Walsh for sending this one in from Deloitte. So Mark Wilson basically saying the entirety of the market is dysfunctional, which is a pretty broad statement to make. Uh, The market is broken. I don't like it, and neither do our customers, he's saying. So the idea of basically every year a massive hike around your premium um this needs to stop apparently but uh- Sort of. I'm not really sure how he's going to do that without completely taking a leg out of the insurance market, really. Um, if this isn't what they're going to be doing, how are they going to be moving him towards it? If I was all of his shareholders, I'd be slightly freaking out on this one because it's where most of the money's being made in insurance. So yeah, it
0: sounds like I'm just going to lop off half of my revenue. I'm doing it for my customers, but if I'm shareholders, I'm a bit worried about that. But then maybe um, doing the right thing by your customers creates a long-term shareholder value if your shareholders are thinking in that way but a lot of shareholders these days are institutions they're not you and me so actually they're thinking no i want a bigger dividend and i want it next quarter and you're about to reduce those profits so there goes your share price It'll is, be that interesting the, is that to
6: the, see. the paul ryan us House representative's view of the <laughs> insurance centuries-old insurance market indeed yeah
4: I think it's going to be a, like a super interesting one to see how this actually plays out, if I'm honest with you. because I think if they do start making these changes, then you know there's an opportunity for them to really sort of change how their business model works. But I think the problem is that the... And there's probably some really interesting things here for, for banks and fintech to think about here. You know, we've got the... In Viva and likes of insurance companies played really nicely with comparison markets and, uh, you know, compare the market and money supermarket and all of the kind of aggregators in this space until the point where all of the profitability was kind of being eked out of the market. Um, you know, fintech playing with banking uh, or banking playing with fintech, depending on your perspective on that, then, uh, you know, there might be a lot of laterals for them to, um, you know, see the crash coming.
0: It's going to be interesting to watch this one for sure, without question. Um, we will follow this as InsureTech um, continues to grow and grow as, as an area, and I think um, if the business model is changing, we've done a lot on business models uh, on, on this show, then to get ahead of that could be a stitch in time, but will will his shareholders stick with it? Alrighty, um, Aidan, there's a story here on Recode. Uh, Square is rolling out its first debit card. They want to get physical, it seems.
3: Yeah, Jason Del Rey over at Recode. Um, I think we Could say that this story is, um, you know, Jack Dorsey coming from Monzo in the UK. No. Um, (laughs) But basically, they have launched a bit of plastic prepaid card. It's a novel idea, isn't it? Uh, Linked to their Square Cash uh, money transfer service. Is this not them just
2: broadening their product portfolio, really? Obviously, Square as an Someday acquirer. Someday they'll be but-
6: a real grown-up
2: bank. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's take a step back, right? So, I mean, I really don't believe in this divide between fintechs and banks. I think at the end of the day, we have to start from the consumer and think about what the consumer is really after. So what the Square guys are saying is, you know, most people are still using cards to spend their money, and if uh,
6: ten minutes ago you said cards were the old world,
2: they are the old world. <laughs> but Square are already in the new world to some extent, right? And now they're saying, hold on, we can use all of that presence and reach to essentially offer a physical product, and that's if that's what the consumer wants, then that's what they should do in the interim. Right. So we kind of have to start with the consumer.
4: I think it's an interesting one. They're like continually we're seeing these organizations like going digital and then like backing into like the old world. Like Amazon you know? opening stores. But I, but I, think, like. I, think,
6: yeah. I think your point, Ashley's point, is perfect. It's, you know, there's, 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 there are the digital dreams. And then there's how, you know, grandma on the street is going to use things. And sometimes you have to offer the car. the consumer what the <laughs> consumer wants. <laughs>
4: but but yeah. would like grandma on the street want to – Card from Square, like would grandma know what Square is?
0: Oh, and I'm guessing that's not the, who they're targeting, right? This is going after a slightly different market. This is looking at, all right, so you're kind of
6: maybe okay, using the. Okay, the 28 year old in Sheffield who doesn't know all the fun whoa,
2: stuff at FinTech <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing if a if, if grandma does decide to use this word <laughs> racists yes. racists I can't see that on the
6: podcast <laughs> <But>. all <laughs> you people came from that no, I'm not telling to yes, here if only
3: I knew which little backwoods US town you came from <laughs>
0: No, I think this is an interesting one. Uh, We've seen um, in recent stories in recent weeks with people moving more and more into peer-to-peer. And I think Apple were doing something on last week's show with them wanting to do peer-to-peer payments with a debit card backed up on uh, Visa's V.me platform. Uh, It seems like that prepaid card piece is something that a lot of the technology providers are thinking, ah, oh, we could get into this. And as I said on last week's show, Google Wallet tried this four or five years ago. I don't know that the business model yeah, works. Yeah,
2: see, the problem is that the cost structure for some of these digital and physical businesses might be fundamentally different. So while, I mean, if you think about it, right, so it's really hard for some of the physical businesses to launch a digital business because the capabilities, assets, and systems, and now I'm being a bit theoretical here, are completely different the same thing works the other way around. If you're a purely digital business with a digital platform, it's like Netflix shipping DVDs. It's a completely different cost structure. You want and, to do and, it? And I'm and, not sure. And this is an idea.
0: It's kind of like they've gone from backwards. They've gone to shipping DVDs from having a digital platform. Yeah. But yeah. they're doing that because there's a distribution problem in that when I send you money on Square Cash, for you to then onward spend that is pretty difficult. If I give you a card, you can spend that quite easy if it's in your Square Cash account. But a problem with prepaid has always been that the cost of issuing the cards is really, really high. So the business case doesn't make sense unless you're really making a lot of uh, money somewhere else, somewhere else in the deal. So I don't know that this will stack up for the same reason that Google Wallet folded, for the same reason can, that a lot of, can, can, th- can th- the a profit's bit, not can there. Can I
6: be a bit curmudgeon and I can just say, you guys, you guys have plied me with pints of wine. So Ooh. I do apologize to your audience. This but, is about um, to be get fun then. You know, <laughs> well, Simon already said fuck, so oh, yeah. I'm really glad there that we this go. is an adult <laughs> show. Um, so I, there is this, like, I'm talking as a consumer now, not as a FinTech person, and the the standards in how you use cards and cash. So I took a flight to Malta on BA, and they now charge for food. It's crazy. <laughs> um, it's M&S food. Uh, yeah, I know. It's good food. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, and and they, they said they made an announcement. You can only pay by card. That's fine. Here's my card. I flew back on Air Malta. They had the food, and I handed my card. and said, no, we only take cash. I don't have any cash on me. And well, I want some flipping standards <laughs> ah, ooh. that's boston for you that's where i'm from thank um, you liz <laughs> why i think that's what pisses me off
0: yeah i get it the the fact that everybody's having to implement payments in different ways for these different scenarios and you, you're longing for that uber like experience the amazon one click experience where it just gets
2: out of the way mm-hmm. i want to do a thing i don't want to think about paying that's get exactly right way. you don't do you do payments because you're doing something else, right? You do banking because want you want to do be a particular thing. I want a tonic and a
6: things. bag of crisps,
1: okay? okay. Absolutely right. No, <laughs> I think as mind. well. I mean, if you look at just like the basic peer-to-peer initiatives amongst the banks, you look at Pam versus Swish. I mean, in Sweden swish all the banks came together there was one standard way to have a peer-to-peer payment like a beautiful process and then you look at Payem and it was like everyone was branding it differently so and the, so the
3: Swedish hired some service designers and built it properly. Whereas it was built by And engineers Payem and was
0: regulators. sort of the the UK payments council and faster payments trying to get together and do something
2: and and by standards and slowly so mad yeah, so you, be, <laughs> so. you don't want to create standards too quickly? As in, you want the standards to sort of compete and evolve and and arrive as opposed to just uh, agreeing on a standard that might be suboptimal. Cool. Well, we could better move on because we could talk about this one all day, I'm sure. Already, Eden. there's a story here in Finextra.
0: Starling opens a payment services unit. Is, is that unit something uh, that's got like a special ops unit? And I'm pay- not sure if it's like a physical unit or a kitchen unit. I don't know. But it's another
3: payment story. I'm sorry, Liz. Uh, but I think this is an interesting one. Again, this is uh, basically Starling. You know, taking their faster payments agreements and sticking an API
0: on it, letting people build on top of that infrastructure, which if is. If you like it, you should have put an API on
6: it. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you That's, oh, I hate you. I'm not happy right now. <laughs> <up. laughs> yes. And we have a name. <laughs> if,
3: if, if Beyonce's listening and she wants to be a guest on the show, that would be fantastic. Um,
6: You're going on the whiteboard.
3: <laughs> uh, but yeah, I. I I don't want to say any more than that, really. It's an API to fast payments. It's simple. It's nice. It's it's great. And I, I want to say a couple of things about Starling. I tweeted the other day that they feel like they're really hitting their stride. They're launching, they're launching, they're launching, they're launching. This is one thing. And they've also, you know, they've got their app, their beta app, into the app stores this week. Their, you know, invite codes are going out. They're ramping up. They're ramping up. And the interfaces, we've had a good look at them on our Pulse products. Megan?
1: Yeah, we have. Um, so I think it was this week. It's kind of, it's still in beta, but it's available to anyone, which is quite nice. So we actually um, applied for the Starling account and everything, and it was super, super, super slick. I mean, within a few minutes. And I mean, there are some things in terms of like the UI and the customer experience that are just kind of like, that's a bit different. I don't really know if I like that or not in terms of navigation and purple. whatnot. I like purple, so I'm very happy with the app. But yeah, no, I think that it's a great start for them. It feels
0: like they're doing everything right at this point from a strategy standpoint. And it feels like the kind of stuff that, um, if I was still working in a product team in in a bank, the stuff I'd be screaming that we need to do, they're kind of doing it. But what's going to be interesting now is because this is like acid test moment, right? This is the stuff that we've been saying you should be doing for a while. Let's see if they get adoption because, and and I really hope they do. I really Uh, hope they do. I think
3: we've heard that they've got like 40, odd thousand on the wait list so that's you know that's a decent number of it's customers if they can convert those that's a damn good start you know they've, they've taken a different model to obviously Monzo we talked about launch get something out whereas they've taken a few years built a product but now they are really rolling stuff out at pace so yeah, I, well I,
4: done I, I was concerned I'll be on no lie you know I was concerned about styling because I, I heard Anne sort of give pretty much the same presentation about 40 times over the course of about 10 months. You and and I was just <laughs> No, and she and it was great. It's a brilliant presentation, but I was just like, I want to see it. And then I kind of understand it and I sort of believe it. And I think now they're sort of really getting to kind of back it up with like actual action, which is which is nice. And actually the 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 branding, how they've kind of put stuff, it feels more mainstream, I'll be honest. They're like it kind of feels like it has the ability to kind of scale a little bit more, which is really exciting. So um, you know, having a few big challenger banks in the UK and and really sort of starting to stretch their legs is really exciting to me.
3: And we have actually had a chat with Julian Sawyer, the COO of Starling Bank, to find out a bit more about these two news items and if they've got anything else coming down the pipe soon. Thank you very much, Julian Sawyer, COO of Starling Bank, for joining us today. Hi, Aidan. Hi, Aidan. Thank you. Uh, Well, uh, quite a few things to talk about, really. You guys, uh, I think I tweeted out this week, you guys are really hitting your stride and delivery after delivery after delivery. This week we'd really like to talk about your Faster Payments service API that uh, launched this week.
8: Yeah, sure. We started um, uh, joining, well, we joined Faster Payments in January this year. And what we realized straight after that is there's an awful lot of people who are not serviced by the Faster Payments scheme directly. You know, there's, there's 15 organizations who are part of Faster Payments, there's 400-odd banks, 2,000-odd-plus fintechs. And we think we can do something different than the other uh, players who are offering sponsorship s- services into Faster Payments. And the real issue is around real-time payments. That's what everybody wants, and yet uh, there is no way of doing that in an indirect agency model. And with our open APIs, we have created a business and a proposition that enables exactly that the uh, facility or the ability of offering real time payments um, into faster payments is actually uh, pretty amazing. The second part of this is the speed or the time that it takes to onboard a new prospect. We're talking weeks, not months. And I think that becomes really important. So when an organization does want to start making payments, real time payments, then we can onboard them in about a 12 week process. And that becomes, incredibly easy to do with our apis um and and therefore organizations will be able to onboard and use, use payments pretty quickly so you know i
3: guess it's just another piece in your platform
8: banking strategy absolutely yes i mean we've we've spent the last couple of years obviously getting our banking license but also building all the infrastructure into the uk payment systems uh, and we are in a position now that we can now leverage that for the benefit of consumers and for other organizations and i guess the other thing to talk about is uh, i know you're currently in beta
3: but you've just kind of widened that beta massively and now the app is in the app stores and invite codes are going to people on the waiting list
8: yes it's a very exciting week for us to launch payment services and also into both the apple and the android uh, app stores at the same time um, and uh, we are, as, as you say, we're onboarding board, customers every day now. That's fantastic. Uh, and uh, how are you, are you getting through the wait list? Well, I mean, I
3: think I had an email that said I had to wait a week and then I got another email a few days later saying it was ready to go, so.
1: Uh,
8: yep, yeah, we're, we're working through that. What we don't want to do is, is overpromise. promise. Um, so we're just trying to manage expectations, but yes, we are working through it at, at quite a speed at the moment, which is great. That's great to hear. And finally, we've uh,
3: just kind of breaking news, really, as I speak to you. I know that uh, a competitor of yours kind of announced that they were backing away from some of their public API work, whereas you've just posted a nice article on your blog, just restating your your you know, that you you guys are really going for an API first. There's a great line in here: we're not wanting to wait until PSD2 compliance. Uh, is here we want we want to be out there now and getting our apis in, in front of people so you know there's a great line saying simply keeping up with compliance and forced
8: regulation is not innovation so that's a, a, a bold bold statement to be making on a friday afternoon indeed indeed i mean we started the bank being psd2 compliant we have apis we're using apis internally with within the bank so for us it's a natural extension to be able to offer apis to, to third parties part of our open API and also our marketplace enables other companies to be able to write some amazing software um, to to integrate on, onto our platform. And we had a hackathon last last month, which was the first one across across the banking world to go into live current accounts within within the UK. Um, and just going back to what we talked about at the beginning, the Starling Payment Services is based on the same APIs. So this is just this is part of what we've done right from day one. Is is created an API driven bank, and, and therefore we should be able to p- publish this into the open market.
3: Well, it's great to see that you guys, like I say, are, are hitting your stride. You're getting stuff out there every week. Uh, maybe we'll be on a, you know, on a call with you again next week to find out about more updates.
8: Thank you, Aidan. Appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Julian.
0: All right, thank you very much, Julian. We've got the last story of the day here. There's one in Reuters, A top French bank chief a attacks no frills rivals for freeloading uh, so this is um, this is Philippe Borussac who is the chief exec of Credit Agricole, and he's saying I think it's time for the authorities to realise that they cannot allow players who offer services where they do not pay for the infrastructure to get settled in you, I find it no, extremely... You, you, you're going to have to do a French accent when no. you do this no. one <laughs>
2: no. I think the analogy doesn't work
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we can go an Indian French accent yeah, well, yeah,
3: something <laughs> like that
0: <laughs> (laughs) He goes on to say, I find it extremely destructive for the system to accept that players could sell very cheap banking cards and in the end shoulder no infrastructure cost. And I got to say, I'm in two minds about this one. I kind of get it in that you're after PSD2.
6: people, we worked hard and you're just getting in for free. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And and it's the same as like the the telcos 10 years ago. It's the Baby Bells argument. Yeah. It's you guys are using our infrastructure and we're not able to capture any of the value of you using our infrastructure but then reverse that become a good platform company and you would capture a lot more of that value but they don't seem to be thinking that way and, and I can see them looking at the spreadsheets where they're gonna lose revenue and they can see how they're gonna lose customer uh, access and all of that kind of stuff but as David often so, says about why this, they stuff,
6: this stuff think this is this is the problem I have with traditional banks com- complaining about the new fintechs is why don't you think up this shit yourself Absolutely. Okay. You're a black cab driver <laughs> in London and you're pissed off at Uber. Why don't you think of this yourself? Yeah.
2: Why are you charging twice as much? Right.
0: And there's a spokesman here in this article from, uh, orange bank and they have a full banking license and their own infrastructure. So they're kind of going, Hey, well we're building infrastructure. If I'm a Starling and a Monzo as well, and, and that sort of challenger who's building infrastructure, I'm kind of like that. It's not just FinTech's building on top of your infrastructure and why not think of a way to, to profit from it. Um, I think there's a really great one here from, um, george bevis who we've had on the show a number of time who's the chief executive of tide um so they're offering small business bank accounts and he goes it's nonsense for incumbent banks to moan about new players using infrastructure that was built decades ago passing electrons
2: between banks is not something that banks can claim is difficult for which they should be charging well, expensive think, prices to more, do more importantly banks have had it so good for so long right we have had this infrastructure for years and we've monetized i'm, I'm speaking like a banker but we've monetized it we've had uh, all this access monopoly access oligopoly access to consumers now it's time to open it up so and it's time for us to compete i think i think that's the thing the whole thing reads like it's not
4: fair and like <laughs> oh. um, and, and i think that's the sad thing yeah, on this one. competitive but I, I have to say like on the back of the jess staley one that we had you know the story last week from barclay ceo you know they've done exactly the same on this I, like i guarantee there's going to be like 400 people ranting about this on linkedin because it's like really provocative headline Picture of him looking like an evil villain, and nobody else is reading. Nobody else is reading anything other than just rant on LinkedIn. So I'm gonna come and find you people, and I will talk you into sense on this one. So.
6: But but any technology, and I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go way back in fintech history okay. here. So if you look at the old uh, big investment banks offering broker research, and there uh-huh. used to be certain, you know, institutional investors that got first yeah. call. Mm-hmm. And then First Call was launched by Thompson and Reuters, and all of a sudden everyone got stuff at the same time. Technology can be a leveler. Mm. You know, that old world, that old old boys network, the old yes. world, you know, that it's got to be dismantled. The must Sorry, it. It, suck does up.
4: it does. Right. But people like unfair advantages.
3: That's that's the thing. <laughs> of course. Like
4: businesses are always based on unfair advantages, right? And uh, and these guys really uh, you know but to your point you. it's be, like do
3: they? they don't have to be you know the banks just haven't created more value than, the, than they've extracted well, see, and that's why people... I,
2: I, I can't remember the Economist who said this but the goal of every business every successful business is to create a monopoly right now it's the goal of the regulators and but then it ultimately destroys them
6: that's the standard oil absolutely. like story a- absolutely and baby so bells you and, create yeah. a monopoly and then you get destroyed and then this consolidation and fragmentation and we're back to the circle of life. yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> circle of life well, and it, it's we need that, the wheel of it, fortune
4: It's it is it is that whole thing it's like you get big enough to spend enough money on building the walls around you and then actually unfortunately the you know, you spend too much time building the walls and the You're not competitive sort of, anymore. Exactly. And that's that's the problem. It's kind of like where every big company goes, right?
0: You you kind of go from um aristocracy where you've kind of been this this fantastically I mean, where Facebook are right now. They're in this they're in this amazing place, they've they've achieved the massive and then they drop into bureaucracy. And you know you're in bureaucracy when there's a million and people can't be that. Can killing say, their
6: children I mean, on a million people can say no, no but you don't know who can a, say yes.
2: Clay, Clay Christensen wrote books about this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Innovative man and so on. So At the end of the day, what happens is that these businesses get logged into a way of doing business. They get logged into a culture, a cost structure, and so on and so forth. But the consumer needs shift. The consumer needs have shifted, and it's time for the banks to respond. It's really not that complicated.
0: I think Lawrence Wintermeyer puts this really well, who's the, you know, the CEO of Innovate Finance, as we know. He, he says that the low-cost airlines didn't put the national carriers out of business, but did force them to change their business and, and becoming yes, more Yes, so you now
6: have to pay for M&S food on BA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't
2: use cards on God damn it. I'm not of Change is not always good.
7: Change is as not always, as always good. As long as it's tagged on a blockchain.
2: <laughs>
0: Alrighty, um, so that's the last story this week. Um, Thank you very much uh, for being with us today, Liz and Ajit. Thank you you very much to you, uh, our good audience, for listening. If you haven't already, check out our interview with Gary Vaynerchuk. And if you want to feel the full force of Gary's persuasion, head on over to our YouTube channel for a different look at the interview. If you like what you've heard here, subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review on iTunes. Tell some friends. We love reading the reviews and we love hearing about what you think about the show. That's all for now.
7: Thank you.